0: Uh, if you have a Bible, grab it. Get with me to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible in a seat back somewhere nearby you, you'll find a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that home. That is our gift to you this Easter. But um, this, this spirit of celebration is so fitting for today because uh, what I'm about to say is not an overstatement. What I'm about to say is, is hard and truth, just absolute fact, but everything, everything hinges on what we've gathered to celebrate today. Everything hinges on it. All of our faith hinges on the fact that we follow a risen Savior. But, but, but not just our faith, all of our life, at the very foundation of our life, is this reality. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. If Jesus is not risen, there is no Christian message. If if Jesus is not risen, then all we're doing today is dressing up, going to church, finding some colorful eggs, and eating ham. But we're gathered here today because Jesus is risen. And a tomb is empty. And all of humanity and all of history has to deal with that fact. See, every heart in here today will make a decision for Jesus Christ. Every human heart that has ever lived has made a decision for Jesus Christ. And the decision before us today is that all of us at one time have bowed our knee to the lordship of Jesus, or we have walked away in denial of him. But all of us have to deal with this resurrection reality. See, the message of Easter is alive every Sunday, is it not? The message of Easter is alive every Sunday, Like, we show up here on Easter Sunday, we're ready to party, we're ready to get after it. Well, guess what? Next week, we'll show up here again, and Jesus is still risen. What we're worshiping, what we're celebrating today, isn't just the fact that Jesus rose from the dead in the past, but Jesus is still alive in the present. And so I could keep going, but i got to get us into the Word of God, okay? I want us to look today at Acts chapter 2, and I want us to... Study this message that Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, preached on a day we call Pentecost. And I want us to see how how Peter brings the resurrection to bear on the heart of every human. A, A little bit about what's going on as we jump into this message Peter preached. Jesus has already risen. Jesus has ascended. And 120 of his followers have been gathered in an upper room doing what Jesus asked them to do, and that is waiting They're waiting for someone. They're waiting for the sending of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus on this day we call Pentecost. The Spirit comes. Uh, These Jesus followers begin to witness to the resurrection of this Savior. And they're witnessing in different languages. All the people have gathered from all over different parts of the world for the celebration of Pentecost. and, And they hear this small group of Jesus followers witnessing about the risen Savior in their own languages. It is a truly supernatural moment, and it's so weird to the listeners. You know what they say? They go, these people are drunk. Peter gets up, and he starts a message, and he starts the message like this. I, I long to be in a setting one day where I can start a message like this. We're not drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. That's literally what Peter says. That's how he starts. We're not right. It's only 9 a.m., I always say about that, Peter evidently didn't go to the college I went to, right? (laughs) We're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Let me tell you what's going on. And Peter launches in to one of the most beautiful sermons on the life cross resurrection of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to pick up this message here today, but all of this Easter message is summarized in this statement right here. All our hope is in a resurrected Savior, is it not? All our hope is in a resurrected Savior. To say it like this, our entire life hinges on a resurrection that demands a response. Our entire life hinges on this, a resurrection that demands a response. Let me pray, and let's jump into this sermon. Father, Uh, We ask for your help today, Lord. I pray that by the power of your spirit in a supernatural way, you would continue the spirit of celebration today as we walk through your word. The worship didn't end when we stopped singing. The worship continues as we go through your word. Father, please meet us. Uh, I pray for every heart in here that knows you. uh, Elicit worship, pull worship out of our heart today. I pray for every heart that doesn't draw them to yourself. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm picking it up mid-sermon here. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Let me give you the first point today, and I've already said it, but let me say it again. All our hope is in a resurrected Savior. All our hope is in a resurrected Savior. I want you to notice here as Peter is preaching this message to a a large group of people gathered that the Spirit has drawn to gather and listen to what Peter has to say. I want you to know what he says to them in verse 22. Uh, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, 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 Peter places Jesus within uh, the regular flow of history. Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God. How was he attested by God? With mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. And then here's a powerful statement. All the mighty works, all the mighty signs, all the mighty wonders that Jesus performed. Look at what he says. In your midst, as you yourselves know. And so he looks at this crowd and he says, you've heard of all the signs, wonders, and miracles that Jesus has done. He did them in our midst. And you know there's some things, even if you've denied following him up to this point, you know there's some things that you saw and you're like, whoa, that's crazy. And he he starts here. By pulling out for us the life of Jesus Christ, the sinless, perfect life that this Savior has lived, attested by signs, wonders, and miracles that prove the fact that he was God come in flesh, second person of the Trinity, but then he moves from the life of Jesus to the cross of Jesus. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. What does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus was de- delivered up to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God? It means that the cross wasn't plan B. It means that, that, that Satan didn't overtake the final week of Jesus' life in such a way that God the Father is up there like, Oh no, what do we do now? This was always the plan of God. To draw broken, messed up, jacked up people back to a holy God. The sinless, spotless lamb had to go to the cross. This week we're doing devotions at uh, the dinner, dinner time and uh, we were reading about Passover and uh, the lambs that were slain, the lambs that were killed and the blood put on the doorposts. And my five-year-old son goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Lambs died? Lambs died, buddy. Like, what do you think about that? He didn't like that. And to be able to talk to him about the final lamb, the perfect final lamb who died, so no, so no lambs have to die anymore for our sins, amen? But he's delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And now, now look at what Peter does here. This is a little, this is interesting. He says, who crucified and killed? Look there, mid, mid verse 23, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, who, who does he say crucified and killed? you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I don't know if your heart gets defensive when I'm confronted by a truth like that. But I know in my heart I would have gone, I didn't kill him. I didn't drive the nail. I didn't raise the cross. I didn't even put the thorn on, the crown of thorns on his head. I didn't kill him. But this has deep doctrinal truth for all of us sitting in this room here today. Peter looks out preaching to this crowd and he says, You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. As we sing in the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, it was my sin that held him there. Do you know the cross wasn't just for the the super morally jacked up person that you know? The someone you look at and go, Wow, their life's messed up. It wasn't just their sin that put Jesus on the cross, it was my sin. That Jesus had to go to the cross to pay the penalty for sin of which we say with the Apostle Paul of whom I am chief. So Jesus lived a life attested by signs, wonders, and miracles crucified, lifted up for our sin. That's what Friday is all about. As our worship team led us the silence of Saturday but then the hope of Resurrection Sunday. Verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Don't you love that? No, think about that. God raised him up, and so you crucified him, we, by our sin, have crucified him, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Praise him right now. It was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. I, I don't think we understand the gravity of that reality. It was not possible for death to hold Jesus down. Now, think about that. Think about that. When it says that he was raised up and the pangs of death are loosened because death was not powerful enough to hold him down, I want you to think about the power that death has. Some of us know all too well the power of death. We know that overwhelming weight and pain of grief as we stand next to someone who is no longer with us. It was a week and a day ago, I drove to Michigan and I'm standing looking into the casket of a childhood friend, dead at 35. In those moments, it feels like death is most powerful, does it not? In those moments, the weight, the grief, the pain, and the finality of death, it feels like death is the final victor, does it not? Now bring that to bear on what the scriptures say right here. Jesus Christ, by raising, by rising from the dead, has loosened the pangs of death because death could not hold him down. So death is not the final champion. Resurrection life in Jesus Christ is the final champion. It doesn't feel like that in the moment, but that's where the truth of the doctrine of which we believe, that's where Easter Sunday comes to bear on the the hard road of life. Death is no longer final. Resurrection life in Jesus Christ is final. What we look at as ultimate, most powerful death, Jesus says, watch this. I want you to think about, like one of the things I love thinking about as I just reflect on the tomb and on Jesus' body laid in the tomb is this. I so wish I could have been an observer in the tomb when you watched Jesus take that first breath and his chest rise and fall. You with me? Like what happened in the headquarters of hell when that happened? They're like, oh crap. <laughs> you can't say crap on Easter Sunday. But you with me? Satan's not omniscient. He didn't know that was going to happen. He thought he had dealt the final blow. And then when one breath. (sighs) Come on. As Paul says so well, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Come on, Christian. Do you believe that? It doesn't mean we don't grieve when we lose people we love. It doesn't mean that it's not hard. But it means that when we put our head on the pillow that night, we say with the Apostle Paul, O oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? My Savior has crushed you. And then Peter roots this message in the words of King David. Right? King David was such a pivotal part of redemptive history. Of the people of Israel. And Peter quotes David. Verse 25. For David says concerning him. David says concerning who? Concerning who? So years and years and years and years. Before the events of the life and the cross. And the resurrection of of Jesus. David has prophesied. And look what he says. I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand. That I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh always will dwell in hope. My flesh always will dwell in what? My flesh always will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And now Peter provides some explanation and commentary to these words of King David. He says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being, therefore, a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about, what did he foresee and speak about? The resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses." Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then here it is, this climactic crescendo in the heart of the sermon. He says, Let all the house of Israel... And let all the house gathered here today, let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. It is the crucified, resurrected Savior who is Lord of all. Come on now. And so Peter, in this part of the sermon here, he talks about the life of Jesus. Perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God who was attested by God through signs, wonders, and miracles and which he did in their midst. Peter says, you know, you know, some of you were there and your minds were blown. And then he preaches the cross. But this perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb who was attested by God through signs, wonders, and miracles was lifted up and was crushed For our sin. And then he preaches the resurrection. But sin could not hold him down, nor could death hold him down. But he loosened the pangs of death, and he rose again, triumphing, conquering, winning over death. And so Peter has laid out before them the life and the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I, I, I say that today because i want us all to understand something so deeply that easter isn't just this american holiday in which i've already said these things where we dress up we go to church we look at, look for colorful eggs and we eat ham i hope you're eating ham if you're not eating ham lord be with you okay <laughs> this is not just about doing religious functions This is not about having some generic faith. This is about the spotless Lamb of God died in our place and rose victorious over death. That's what we're here for today. And that message demands a response. Does it not? From cover to cover in this book as the gospel, that means good news, as this good news of God goes forth, a response is demanded from the human heart. And as I said at the outset, every one of us in this room have responded or are responding to this message of a resurrected Savior. What's the response that's fitting for this message that has just been unpacked By Jesus, part two of this message, this resurrected Savior demands a response. Look with with me at what happens after Peter has preached these things. Look, Look at what the people say, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, and what's their questions, brothers? What shall we do? Do you see that? Do you notice that? Do we understand that? These hearers understand they're not just taking in a church service. These aren't just new and novel ideas that that they're to take in and, and to consider that they're to take in and just think about. As these hearers hear of a perfect Savior who went to a cross and died and rose again, conquering death, their question is, brothers, what shall we do? And what does Peter say here? Verse 38. And Peter said to them, what's the first word? Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Praise the Lord for us sitting here in 2022. everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so they say, what, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Let me take that first word there, the word repent. Literally, this word means to have a change of mind. The idea here is that our life does a 180, that we do an about face, that, that we turn from where we are going and walking and where, before we know Jesus Christ, where we are going and walking and, and the, the, the destination that we are aimed at is our sin and our self. We do what we want to do because we want to do it. And when they hear of a resurrected Savior, the one who took the cross for their sin, was laid in a tomb, and then rose powerfully over sin, they say, What do we do? And Peter says, He starts, He says, Repent. You turn away from that sin and you turn to belief in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The Bible says, for by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works. So that none of us in this room have anything to boast about. How How are you saved? By faith. How are you saved? By grace through faith. The playing field is leveled. All of us have rebelled and sinned against a holy God. God, out of his great love for us, has sent his son as the remedy for that sin. we are to repent and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior today. Today. Today, and he says, "Repent and be baptized." And the way that that faith is expressed publicly, in which the whole world knows that we now are followers of Jesus Christ. Like, you see, God never intended secret Christians. God never intended secret Christians. I'm a, I'm a Christian. Don't tell anyone. It was never his intention. His intention is that those who are lost in their sin would repent and believe in Jesus Christ and then show that publicly through baptism. Come on now. That the whole world would see and would know we are now followers of Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, every one of you, every one of you listening to this in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All in favor of that, say aye. Come on. And look at what happens here. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's a good day for the church. 3,000 lives saved. 3,000 people who've crossed from death to life. 3,000 people with their eternity assured. 3,000 people added to the household of God. I'm saying all these things to press us today that Easter can't just be about the the celebration and fanfare of, of it all. It was always meant, the message of Easter of a resurrected Savior was always meant to come to bear on our heart and pull us, drive us to a place of decision about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We we, we can't stay neutral on Jesus. We can't just know facts about Jesus. We can't just go through religious motions about Jesus. We can't just say, you know, I really respect the life of Jesus. I just don't want to follow him. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Our entire life hinges on a resurrection that demands a response. So let me call us to a response today. Let's make sure the Easter we've gathered here to sing and to celebrate and to party the way we should carries over to Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and to next month when Jesus is still alive and to next year when Jesus is still alive. Let me call us to respond. To the Christians in the room, let me start with you. It's time to live like you follow a resurrected Savior. Like it's, it's time for that to truly come to bear in such a way that it permeates and affects every area of our life. How would you go to work tomorrow if you truly believed in your heart of hearts, my Lord is risen? How would that affect the way you read the scriptures when said that say whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do it all to the glory of the one who bore your sin and then rose giving you victory over death. How does that affect work life? Students, how does that affect the way you go to school? How does this come to bear the way we go home? The way we love? If he has loved us like this, How can I not let the love of that overflow into a deep, generous love for others? How does this affect our joy? What could possibly happen to us in which we don't win? The worst thing that could happen is kill me. I love what Paul says in Philippians 1. You can't win. For me to live is Christ. Okay, we'll kill you. Great. To die is gain. I win! Christians, how does this come to bear on the way we witness to the resurrected Savior? How, when we drive home today, we see those neighbors and those neighbors and those neighbors who don't know the Lord and And how does this keep us in our nice little neat homes with our nice little neat prayers and and, and, and how does this not compel us and propel us out our front doors and to their front doors with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let us live, Jesus follower, like the Savior you're following is no longer laid in a tomb but has resurrected and with his resurrection comes resurrection life for you. You with me? a call to respond to the secret Christians in the room. I know you might not like me calling you that. But you've placed saving faith in Jesus Christ, you've believed and you've never gone public with that belief in baptism. Now let me state this in a super deep theological way. What are you waiting for? God's intention was never a secret Christian. I love the response of the people in this story here. They believe and they're baptized. And that had deep ramifications for them in that time in and in their place. What are you waiting for? It's time to go public with the fact that you follow a resurrected Savior. Next month in May, we have another baptism service. You can go right back on that register you were on earlier can find it on our app you can access it on our website redeemerbible.church register you click that button that you're ready to be baptized that you're ready to go public with the fact that you follow a resurrected savior and then to those of you in the room who walked in you're not a christian you you would own that you would be honest with that you're like man i i show up on easter because grandma begs me to i'm here for grandma not jesus i get it i get it But what you've been confronted with today is the message of jesus christ that christianity is not just a religious system in which a group of people follow that this isn't about a group of people gathering for church so they can look a little better the 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 decision point that your heart has come to today is to hear that jesus christ he bore your sin on the cross and that apart from jesus christ covering your sin by his blood you are lost and you are destined to an eternity apart from god in hell We don't sugarcoat that. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. We don't do a bypass around that. It's just what God's word says. And yet the good news of the Christian message is that God has looked down at us and he has not left us in our hopelessness, but he has sent his only son who bore that cross and bore our sin, who who died the penalty for our sin. And then as this passage has just told us, who rose conquering the power of death, that is applied to your heart today the moment you repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And today is the day. Easter Sunday of 2022 is the day. No no longer any riding defense about it no longer being all out on the message of Jesus. Today, as God is seeking your heart and as the Spirit of God is drawing your heart, that today would be the day that you bow your knee to Jesus Christ and you tell him here today, I repent, I turn away from myself, I turn away from my sin, Jesus, I turn to you as my Lord and Savior today. You tell him that today. And if that is you today, I want to point you right back to that register because we want to help you in your new walk with Jesus Christ. You can go to that register at, through the app, through our website, RedeemerBible.Church slash register. You click today that you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and we will follow up right away to help you in this new walk with Jesus Christ. And what I love about what the scriptures say, it says, there is joy in heaven when a sinner repents. You with me? Right? There's joy. So I want you to think about that. The the moment we turn from our sin and embrace Jesus Christ by faith, there is a party in heaven celebrating the reality of that. Of us believing in Jesus as our Savior. But this message today, and all of the excitement and all of the fanfare and all of the the gathering with family and the feasting that we're going to do that has to be done on a day like today, it must carry on to tomorrow. You with me, church? It must carry on the rest of the week. Are you with me, church? It must affect the the kind of employees and students and family men and women that we are. Because we're going to gather here next Sunday and Jesus is still alive. And And the next week 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 until one day we're in his presence and we're standing face to face and we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You long for that day? And that day... That day, that day is only a reality because of the way Jesus has conquered death. Stand with me, and we're going to worship. We're going to party our way out of here. But before we close with song and and celebration and party, let me close with the words of the angel. As those who came to the empty tomb, wondering and confused, looking for a body, were confronted with these words. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has. Sing about that reality, church.